Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. It's Trevor with Kellen Wellborn. Hey, man. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I mean, I'm hanging in there. I'm wearing fleece, which is a poor choice for me in the winter because I get shocked a lot. Oh, yeah. Do you have a cat? That's a tough subject. Oh, no, you... sorry. I She's up... still alive. She just yeah. doesn't live with us anymore. She okay. lives with, with Sarah's I thought, sister. I felt like I had seen one at some point, but you know, one of the things that I have is a really mean cat and fleece and a cat. If you try to touch your cat after you've been wearing fleece, you're going to get bit because you're going to shock them and then they don't love it. So I do remember that. And it's just, it, the question is like fleece is sold as this like cold weather thing. No, I hate it. I might as well just be attaching myself straight into like an electrode. Yeah. Like, what is no, the deal? No, it don't wear it. I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm an idiot. Anyways, <laughs> our guest today doesn't have to worry about this too often because she comes from Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. Although I think the storm we're getting tomorrow is even supposed to bring some snow down to her neck of the woods. Christy Holson, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Are you going to get any of the? Are you going to have any sleet or snow down there? Um, no, we're just getting lots of rain. And what happened if there was snow that was going to be hitting? Is there? Oh, it, is debil- there pan- it yeah, debilitates is there them. Would you be fighting people at the grocery store? Well, you know, that's already kind of happening with the pandemic. But um, <laughs> no, usually school would get shut down. Um, but since we're already at home, I don't even think that would come right. into play. Right. It's really good to spend time with you. Um, just so for our listeners, Christy Holson, she is the mom of two boys. She is a, a part-time college sociology instructor. She's married to a fantastic guy, uh, Buddy. So Buddy, who has been fighting stage four colorectal cancer for the past, I believe, two and a half years, right? Yeah, he was diagnosed in May of 2018. It feels like forever ago and then yesterday at the same time. Absolutely. So Christy is a, a caregiver or care partner, depending on the term that people like best. About a year ago, Christy was one of the first caregivers to do a, a Q&A, like a written Q&A with me for the Man Up to Cancer website. And it's nice to visit with her because it, I, and I have to say this, I cannot say this enough. It is so important for us as the Man Up to Cancer community to recognize and support our caregivers, to share their stories so that we can have a better understanding of the impact cancer has on them. So I want to start just by saying, I want to really ask you how you are. This is not like the person passing by, how are you? I really want to know how you are right now at this point in time with what you're going through as a, as a caregiver? Well, you know, it varies day to day, but, um, I really think that, I think that I'm okay. Mm. You know, I, I think we're all doing okay. And I, I think that we, this has been a terrible lesson in taking things day by day. I, I mean, just, like, I never wanted to live like this. I, you know, um, it's hard to plan 
Right. You can't, it's hard to plan anything right now anyway, because of the pandemic, but you know, you can't say, well, this is what I'm, we're, we're going to do this weekend. Really. It's more like, this is what we're going to try to do this weekend. And I think that that's fair to say in like in anybody's life, but in the cancer life, it's more, um, you know, I, I hope nothing comes up. I hope that Buddy feels okay. If you're even the slightest bit sick, we don't want to be around you. Um, but I think that in general, like, I'm all right right now because if... If I'm not, then everybody else is not mm. all right. So I'm the one that has to hold it together. And that's hard. It's not fun. It's just a state of limbo that I do not enjoy, but I have I have to do it, so I try not to dwell on it. it it's just a life of limbo. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, when you talk about the planning piece, I... You always hear stuff out in the culture. Like I heard the other day, hey, you should think about your three-year, five-year, 10-year goals, all this stuff. <laughs> and yeah, like you laugh, right? Because we know yeah. as people in our boat that those kind of, that kind of long-term thinking really just goes away. And that's mm-hmm. hard. It is hard. It is hard um, to be – you know, it's hard. It's hard to be the wife of the – prime earner or like mm-hmm. the primary earner mm-hmm. because it's not I've been a mom for you know 14 and a half years and that's been while I've had my sociology job as a teacher for almost that whole time it's been part-time it's not full-time and so that's tough too because I'm like I gotta think about that because that's our reality I mean, absolutely. We talk about Sarah and I talk about that a lot, like the dual pillars of burden, the, the emotional, (laughs) the emotional burden of like, you know, this is your, your, your spouse, your partner. And then the logistic burden that you have to discuss and face of finances and, and like the, the logistic realities of, of this disease and what the future looks like. So I hear you loud and clear. Well, and the responsibilities that you've been doing as a part-time, you know, worker and and mother and carer of your family previous to cancer, it's not like just because you need more financial things that those things didn't go away and give you more time. You have all of those plus the need for, you know, more earnings. So it's, there's no, there's no release of any pressure. Right, right. And luckily, you know, we have not had to worry about our finances. Cancer has not, my husband has been able, he owns his own business. So he's been able to maintain his business. And I'm very proud of him for doing that. That that takes a lot. And we're not like some people who are really in financial straits because of cancer. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes because we're, handling it okay that people tend to forget we're handling it at all (laughs) yeah well right does that make sense yeah totally makes sense and we live in this culture where moms are supposed to be superheroes anyway it's like you're not supposed to ever have a down moment like you're just supposed to carry it all all the time and now on top of this you have a husband with a life-threatening illness that legitimately changes your role so that you are a, a wife, but also a caregiver. Uh, and, and I. so when I think back to when you just said about 
feeling like you can't, like you have to hold everything together. That's just like your life before this anyways. And now it's like amplified times a hundred, right? It is. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a small group to be a part of. It's a club you never want to be a part of. But, you know, I think that we spend a lot of time also thinking about the good that cancer has brought to our family. And I was listening to the podcast that you did with Elsie, and you talked about how it brought you together closer as a family. Yeah. And and it's done that for us, too, in an amazing way. Awesome. I, it has been so like Elsie also said, you know, I'm thinking about all this small stuff that my friends are complaining about. And, and she realizes that it's small stuff. And I kind of do that too. I'm like, oh my God, your problems are nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then at the same time, it also feels like being close together as a family could be a curse later because we don't know what we're, what's going to happen. It's the yin and the yang. Absolutely. Those dualities are, that is, when you talk about this stuff, it's just, I just not, keep nodding and nodding because that's, that's how we feel too. So talk about your kids a little bit. How old are they and, and what are they into these days? Okay. So McKinley's in eighth grade. He is a giant. He is six, four. And oh my goodness. <laughs> he's, he's 14, uh, six, four size 13 shoes. So I am looking up to him. Um, but he is doing school remotely. He, um, you know, likes to do video games with his friends online. He likes baseball, golf, Our youngest one, Nolan, is seven, and he's in first grade, and um, he is just the sweetest thing. (laughs) He's just, (laughs) he's just fun. He, I mean, they're, they're really good boys, and when Buddy was diagnosed, it was May 31st, 2018. McKinley had just finished fifth grade, and Nolan was just about to go into pre-K, Nolan was four and a half and McKinley was 11 and a half when um, Buddy was diagnosed. So take us back there, if you would, to, yeah, that time of diagnosis. If, if you could share, you know, a couple of the emotions or the memories or whatever comes to your mind right now when you think of that time, that uh, late spring, summer 2018. So Buddy hadn't been feeling well. Um, he had been having trouble going to the restroom and he was doctor, of course, like so many other colon cancer patients was like, you're constipated. You know, but let's go ahead and get you on the schedule for a colonoscopy anyway. And Buddy kept telling me, he's like, something's wrong, Christy. He's like, something is wrong. This is not right. So we had the colonoscopy on the schedule. And we just go in there like, okay, I never, you know, I never would have thought we would be leaving there with our whole lives changed for a routine procedure. But I also want to add that he was about 62 years old then. He and I have a 20-year age difference. Mm -hmm. Um, He had never had a routine colonoscopy, had never had one when he turned 50, Um, like so many other people, you know, so... I was brought back to the room to see him after he had the colonoscopy. And they're like, okay, well, the doctor will come in. We're in the recovery bay. He's literally like laying in bed and just kind of laughing, trying to recover. And the doctor comes in and he was like, you know, you 
you had some polyps, but you have cancer. Oof. And there was like, he was gentle, but he was blunt, you mm. know, just matter of fact. And there's just a curtain separating us from, right, from the other whoever patients. was recovering in the next bay. And I just burst into tears and Buddy was like, I have cancer. And he was like, yes. And so he said, just stay here. We're going to get some stuff figured out for you. And I just cried and just said to him, you know, like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And the doctor came back in. They were like, we're getting you a CT scan right now. So we went across the street to the hospital. He got a CT scan and had no idea that that would be the end of our day. (laughs) We were stunned. That was it. We were stunned. And... Um, we didn't keep it a secret. We went home and, you know, Nolan was only uh, four and a half. And so we just kind of, t- we just told him there were bad guys in daddy. Yeah. And he could relate to that because he has a primary immunodeficiency, which means that weekly he has to get infusions at home of immunoglobulin to keep him healthy. And so we kind of equated it to, you know, daddy has bad guys in him. You know, your medicine is to keep bad guys out of you. So we just kept it bad guy, good guy for Nolan. But McKinley, um, you know, this was a big deal. He was 11. My dad had literally dropped dead of a heart attack a couple years before that. And he was McKinley's best friend. So we felt terrible having to tell him that. I I was worried about McKinley the most. Mm. Um, We were numb. I mean, it was like, this isn't our life. (laughs) We were fine this morning. You were constipated this morning. And now, and then you Google it. Trevor, you know (laughs) that. You know that's what you do. Doctors and Google are really the the just arch (laughs) anemesis. Yeah, I mean, it's it's terrible. I mean, it's absolutely terrible. And and I just remember, like, he had the scan, but we weren't going to get the results for, like, a day or two. And we had to, I had a sitters during the day. It was the summer for the boys. And I just walked around Hobby Lobby for two hours. <laughs> just, like, I don't even know what I was doing. Yep, out-of-body experience. It was. It really was. You know, and then they're like, well, there's two spots on your liver, so we're going to have to do an MRI to make sure. So they're doing an MRI on him on Sunday morning, and he was told, he had the colonoscopy on a Wednesday or Thursday, I think. MRI Sunday mm-hmm. morning, and on Monday we were meeting with the surgeon. Yeah. It, so, right, you, you literally go into a period of shock, like physiological shock, and then you're in the shoot where you're talking to these doctors who, yeah, you're in the shoot and you have to make all these decisions and then you're looking at options and treatment and everything else. And the people that you deal with there, they deal with it every day. And most of them have dealt with it every day for years in the medical side of it. But us as patients and families that have zero context. So sometimes that leads to like a, there's a conflict there because those people, no fault of their own. Well, they have they, to stay detached for, for, well, at some level. Right. For number, yeah. No, yeah. Number one, they have to stay detached. But then number two, like they can't, you can't force your brain to think, oh yeah, for this family, this right. is their first right. experience with this, right? 
So it can be really jarring when all of a sudden, I remember that like the first couple of weeks, the doctors are asking us like, okay, here's your options. What do you want to do? And we're like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't even know where I'm at right now. We had a different experience. Um, the surgeon that we went to, he touched Buddy's arm, you know, and like held Buddy's oh, like, wow. forearm and said, we're talking cure. He said, okay, you know, just we're talking cure. And he said, and we're going to get you through this. And then from there, he said, this is who I'm going to talk to. And this is who I'm going to talk to. We made no decisions. We were told they our appointments were set up for us. They said, you're going to go talk to this oncologist. You're going to go talk to this surgeon. Yep. And they told us where to go and we showed up. <laughs> it was for such a bad thing. It was so easy for us to navigate because they took charge. So you get launched into this treatment process. And then like, like all of us who get thrust into that world, you just, you're, you're into treatment mode. And how do we, how do we combat this disease? How do we try to get buddy to no evidence of disease or even cure? So that's been two and a half years for you guys. What's going on right now with Buddy's cancer treatment? Uh, what regimen is he on? Where Where is he at right now with the cancer itself? So he relapsed for the second time last summer. He was NED in February 2019 after doing the colon surgery where he had the um, you know successful colon surgery, no no colostomy bag. Yep. Did chemo. And then he had liver surgery to remove um, his liver tumors. And then he did chemo again. So February 2019, he was considered NED and we were ecstatic. Absolutely ecstatic. Mm. And then um, in November of 2019, he relapsed in a big way and had to have a lobectomy, a left lobectomy. Then he was fine again. And then last summer, he relapsed with three liver tumors. They're inoperable. So he did the Y90, which is the radio embolization. And he had his last round in um, in October, but now he has ascites, benign ascites from the liver damage. So And so just a little bit of the translation for those who might not know the ins and outs of colorectal cancer or metastatic colorectal cancer. So he's had a lot of his liver removed. <laughs> and he's also yes. had Y90 radioembolization, which is basically um, where the doctors direct little radioactive beads uh, through your blood system into your liver to target the tumors. And then... The buildup, the uh, ACDs, I'm um, not sure if I'm even pronouncing that right, but the fluid buildup um, that is in the abdomen. And so he's been dealing with a lot of that fluid buildup and having to go have um, paracentesis, which is the, dr yes. the draining of that fluid. I mean, yes. and this is the kind of stuff that families like ours normalize, right? Like, oh, yeah, like. Just got to go <laughs> get Just got to go done. in and get the yeah. five liters of fluid removed from the abdominal cavity. I mean, it's crazy, right? It is. And what's hard for me is like, even after, even when he was doing chemo, like this, I feel like is the sickest that I've ever seen him. Yeah. Um, the most fatigued that I've ever seen him. Because with, when he was doing chemo, he didn't even, he was down for a couple of days and then back up on the golf course. But now he's like, 
just really, I guess the cumulative effects of everything have really started to get to them. And it is tough. I mean, it's tough to see as a, as a wife, you know, but then you still kind of have, there's still stuff he's got to do for the family, you sure. know, and it's just really tough. It's hard to, you want to take it away from them, just like you want to take away pain from your kids, but you know, you can't, it's not possible. So what is your team telling you now about the prognosis and what the plan is moving forward? So right now we're kind of, he does still have cancer in his body, according to um, one of the popular blood tests that are out there now. He is positive for the cancer DNA. So we don't consider him NED right now. We're kind of just waiting for the next shooter drop. He'll have another scan in a couple months and... You know, we hope that there's nothing there, but we're thoroughly prepared for there to be something there somewhere. And so your approach now is to, when there's local recurrence, to try to deal with it either through surgery, ablation, Y90, other things. Is his disease just in his liver now or is it elsewhere in his body? It is only in his liver, and it was in a few lymph nodes uh, when they did the original surgery, but it was it's only in his liver right now. And again, for those who are listening who maybe have other cancer types, when colon cancer or rectal cancer metastasizes, it tends to go to the liver and the lungs, usually in that order, um, and then bones. It can sometimes, it doesn't follow the rules like that, but the liver... The metastasis to the liver is oftentimes the pressing concern and and the thing that happens after the the colon. I want to circle on something you said about the family aspect of this, and you know, and that was nice of you to mention Elsie on the podcast. <laughs> she, yeah, that was that was such a great experience for both of us. But you call yourself Team Holson because your yes. whole family is affected. You know, same thing with us. We talk about how we have scans coming up or, or we are going through this. Can you talk a little bit about why that's the way that you're approaching this? Because we are all dealing with it. And, and that just is something that came very naturally when we talked, you know, like we have a scan tomorrow or we, we are going to have to have surgery or, um, It doesn't just affect Buddy. I mean, it affects all of us profoundly. You know, it's something that we have to, it's something that we talk about every day and, and, and we try not to hide our feelings. You know, we cry if we need to. Um, We're especially, I had a lot of anger about it. Just sure. Not, I wasn't very angry when he was first diagnosed, but when he relapsed, I was, for the first time, I was very, very angry. Not at anybody, but just, like, why? We did everything right. You know, we did what we were supposed to do. We are supposed to be done with it. And I take advantage of our local hospital systems counseling center. They offer free counseling and other services to um, cancer patients and their families. We've offered the same to our oldest son. And he went once and, or he went a couple times. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that she was like, I don't know that he really needs this at this point. And, and he was like, I'm good. And, um, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. I, but we talk to him. We don't hide things. 
Yeah, same. You know, one thing that I did tell my oldest, you know, I asked him if he was worried about dad. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm not very worried right now. We just have to get through this. I said, but how about you don't worry until I tell you there's something to worry about. And I said, I will tell you if there's something to worry about. Mm -hmm. But for right now, you don't have to do that. But I will be honest with you if there is a time that you do need to worry. Um, so I, I think being honest, if the kids can handle it, is kind of the way to go. And, when I, and I've gone to, you know, every doctor's appointment that I've been able to go to with him. Luckily, when he was doing chemo, that was before the pandemic. So I could actually go and sit with him and keep him company. Um, we made a lot of friends through this. It's so weird, but I wish we didn't have to deal with it, but it's kind of been a blessing in disguise in a way. Um, it's changed friendships. It's deepened friendships. It's let us know which friendships aren't as valuable anymore. You know, we've made a lot of friends through this and we've cemented a lot of friendships through this also. So I think that's kind of when we start feeling down and out, I remind Buddy, I'm like, yeah, but this sucks, but we have really gotten, we're better people now. I mean, I didn't want to be a better person <laughs> than this, but, you know, but I think that, I think that it's really made us better people. And in turn, it's kind of made us better parents because we don't sweat the small stuff all the time. I mean, there are days that we do, but, sure. you know, for the most part, it's like, you know, we're, we're here, we're okay, let's take advantage of, of today together. If there are other caregivers out there listening to this, I'm interested in asking you about if you take care of yourself and if you do take care of yourself, how do you do that? Like just you, just Christy, right? Is there time for that? There is, there is. Of course, it was a lot different just because of what's going on. There's not as much time for me to take care of myself right now yeah. just because of everything going on with school and at home. You know, but a lot of times I just will shut myself in my bedroom or go take a bath and just, you know, once I once I had kids, I realized that the only time alone I was ever going to get is if I was locked in my bathroom. And, and even then, like, it literally, can be totally ruined. Yeah, Helen's like not or not. Yeah. yeah, like literally locking my bedroom door. Yeah, I'm locking every door that it takes to get to yeah. me. Um you know, and so just having that time to like be alone, even wandering through the grocery store by myself, that's, it's hard to take care of myself now, but I was pretty good at it before not letting it totally consume Consu yes. me. And yes. I have really refound my love recently of trashy romance novels uh, because you know mm -hmm. what? It's not real and it's fine. Wow. Like, it's like when you're talking about finding these moments, yeah. you know, the thing that can help me the most, and I don't know if you have found this, something that is so far from your reality that you don't have, <laughs> right. you don't have any way to relate to it or find, you know, you're like, this is just so far beyond my reality. I don't have to be present 
at all from what my actual reality is. <laughs> Pure escape. Yes. Yeah. I read People magazine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Like, I just read my gossip and <laughs> go from there. And I think all caregivers are just allowed the complete judgment-free zone forever with whatever the hell you want to do to like <laughs> right. just... I don't know. I saw your eyebrows go up when I was talking about trashy romance novels. <laughs> I mean, you're pushing the line there, pushing but... The... <laughs> No, I, I totally support that because you have you have to you got to give your brain a break. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so much to deal with mentally that you just got to shut off sometimes and and do whatever it is you need to do, and also fight for that time. Be you know you can. It's the oldest cliche in the book, but you cannot care for others if you are just completely burned out and aren't caring for yourself. So I urge all the caregivers out there and the patients. So for people like me, the other patients, like force your caregiver to make a list or write it down or be like, what are you going to do over the next month to make sure that you're getting through this with your sanity complete and that you aren't totally consumed by it, that, that you still have you, you know, that Christy still has Christy, even though you're playing all these roles and, and a big role that you never imagined you were going to play. And Trevor, is that something that as a patient you actually find helps? Because for you, do you have guilt about your caregiver <laughs> lessening her load? And so does it even help you if you see your caregiver taking time? Like, does that help you? Absolutely. Well, of course. I mean, the yeah, guilt? No, I never have any guilt around <laughs> the burden that I'm, you know, placing on the whole family. Absolutely. As the patient, i I understand intellectually that it's not my fault that right. I got cancer or that I have certain needs or that this is changing things um, in a way that's very difficult for my loved ones. But at the same time, I do feel guilty. Yeah. I do feel bad. I feel when I see the burden on my wife's face, I'm sure as Buddy sees the burden on Christie's face, there's that piece of us that wants to fix it. You know, we want to make it better yeah. and take it away. and And we're doing everything we can to get the treatment and get through this and survive but that doesn't you you know it hurts it hurts to be that guy looking at your wife and and feeling like you are a burden which is why a lot of men do check out right and and stop communicating they don't want that feeling because they they don't want to be that burden and i don't know if that's if buddy um has that feeling sometime as well you know he's um apologized to me for having cancer yeah. Sorry? No. No, I, yeah. I, I've done, I feel the same way. Yeah. <sighs> that, that's not something he needs to apologize for. And that hurts me <laughs> that he feels like he needs to apologize for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I identify with it. It's been a conversation that I've had, emotional conversation I've had with Sarah and I feel like she feels the same way you do. And then there's just all this pain without too much of a resolution. It's, it's a really, it's a real helpless feeling sometimes. And I know, I know that you feel helpless. I know that Buddy feels helpless, but you know, it's nothing to apologize for. Hmm. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, too. I'm sorry that you have, I mean, like I told you, that was my first thing I said to Buddy. It was like, I'm so sorry. And so I just, it hurts me to know that he feels bad for 
changing our lives when he didn't even. It's not like he did this intentionally. Right. <laughs> right. Don't just go out and say, hey, let me catch cancer. Yeah, let me. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that's so true. And it's it sounds like we have very, very similar relationships in that you care about your husband so much and he cares about you so much that each one of you is feeling bad about the situation and not wanting the other to, and not wanting the other to feel bad. Yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, we can laugh about it. You know, he'll do something or not do something. And I'll be like, Oh, so you think because you have cancer, you get to not, you know, do the dishes, you know, (laughs) and he'll be like, shut up, Christy. You know, so we at least can laugh about it sometimes. Like, Oh yeah. Tell him you have cancer. See if that'll get us a better seat. <laughs> no, I mean, know? isn't that right, though? Like, we we can go between crying and just feeling completely awful to, to yeah, that laughter about the situation that we're in. It's just, just a roller coaster. And um, it's just a roller coaster. And I, I kind of feel like we went to Universal Studios a few months ago. We took the boys and went on this ride and Hmm. I had no clue it went upside down. (laughs) And and my seven-year-old is sitting beside me and he'd never been on, he didn't know it was going on upside down. I didn't know it was doing it. And so it's going upside down. I'm sitting beside him, like grabbing his leg and can't even see him. And it's upside down. I'm just laughing like an idiot because I'm like, oh my gosh, he's going to be so scared. <laughs> Let me try to make <laughs> it fun. And and that's just kind of how we're just kind of like, oh, this is a roller coaster, but let's just try to make the best of it, you know? And, oh, um, beautifully said. I think I had that exact same experience on that exact same ride with my son. I think you were in the Hogwarts castle, were you? Yes. Yes, that is the right. And my son was so small that I thought his body was going to leave the ride. Like I could feel him lift oh up. Oh my gosh. I had my hand around the corner. <laughs> yeah. And then, and Buddy, we got off the ride. Buddy was like, I know what you were doing. You were trying to act like it was so much fun so Nolan wouldn't be scared. And I was like, that's exactly what I was doing because I had no clue. <laughs> I didn't know it was coming next. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm here for you. <laughs> this is fun. I have another question that kind of gets at something that a lot of caregivers deal with pretty much every day, which is, I'm sure you get this a lot where um, you get the Hey, if there's anything we can do, please reach out. Like, or I want to be able to help you guys. Just let us know what we can do. Um, and sometimes yeah. you know that it's well-meaning and you know there's nothing else to say, but sometimes it just makes you want to like punch a hole in the wall to me anyways. Like, but then other times you're just like, I get it. Like that person's just trying to be helpful. But oftentimes you're just so busy doing what you do that you have to come up with something yeah, else. It, it to, feels yeah. like, it feels like a job to actually like come up with something for them to do. That's so. why I don't offer you anything. <laughs> it's really easier. I, I like it that way. <laughs> so how do you deal with that issue? Well, I've become a little more honest about it. At first it was, you know, like, well, can, oh, we'll bring you food. We'll bring you food. And a lot of people brought us food yeah. and that was very helpful to send us food. Um, yeah. But there's only so much food we can freeze because <laughs> there's only so much space. And we had help, you know, when we were doing chemo so that with people picking up the kids from school. And somebody asked me, um, you know, when Buddy had relapsed this last time, like, what what can I do? I really want to help you. Mm. And 
you know, can I, I forget what the offer was. Um, please let me know if there's something you can do. And I'm like, well, you know what, it's January, the premiums and the deductibles or the deductibles and out-of-pockets are starting up again. I was like, if you want to do anything, maybe get us a grocery store card. Good for you. You know, that would, yeah. that would be helpful. You know, so I've become a little more honest about what can be helpful. Good. Sometimes I just don't really need anything. Yeah. But then I think that when you don't need anything and when you aren't necessarily struggling, that people kind of, forget that you're dealing with it in a way. Oh, man, yeah, that's true. You know, and then you're kind of like, well, no, I mean, you know, we still, this is still very emotional for us just because I don't talk about it all the time. But we had a lot of help at first, a lot of people offering help, but then then it kind of tapers off, you know. And um, I kind of feel like the more dramatic your story is, the more help that's offered. And our story just isn't very dramatic. It's certainly tragic, but it's not terribly dramatic. Yeah, I I hear you. Absolutely. And I think, I think over time, you're right, like at the outset and in the surgeries and stuff like that, people come through. But then yeah, as time goes by, it's like, it just you know, you're definitely not top of mind, but I'm glad to hear that you are open to accepting help and being more honest about it. And I think just accepting help itself can be a real barrier for a lot of people. Right. And then what I love to see from people rather than, I mean, and asking is great, like, hey, what can I do? But I always encourage people to just take a risk and just say, like, if a friend were to come over and be like, hey, I'm babysitting whatever one day this week so you guys can just go sit somewhere or just have quiet or you know whatever it is like i tell people take a risk and just uh come up with a proposal to just make an assumption like what is it this family make an offer instead yeah make make an offer instead of ask so i I hope people will do that as well i hope so but i also think that you don't you know you just don't know what what it feels like until you are going through it and then you have a lot more insight. But yeah, I'm, I do agree. It's easier for somebody just to say, I'm bringing you this. Yeah. And you say, and like somebody was one one night, I was I had to have surgery too. And <laughs> someone said, well, what can we do? And I said, well, just bring something to feed the boys. Yeah. Like that's all I need. Something for uh, all my boys, yes. my biggest, big <laughs> and little, you know. I said, like, just bring food for them, you know. And that, if you want to do something, yeah. that that would be helpful. Yeah, because regular life, including other health issues, does not stop when someone gets cancer. So, like, caregivers have health issues. Um, kids have other stuff going on. Like, that's another thing, too. People got to recognize, like, <laughs> we're going to be wrapping up soon. We're getting short on time. I do want to get you into the gauntlet of random questions. But I want you to talk a little bit about the phrase that you use on social media because I'm interested in where it came from the keep pounding you a lot of your posts you oh, finish with, okay. you finish with keep pounding what where did that come from and, and what does it mean to you okay so my husband is a football player from texas and uh loves loves the longhorns and the carolina panthers and so the carolina panthers are our home team nice. 
And their, um, one of their slogans is keep pounding. And what it came from was from Sam Mills was a um, former player that had developed cancer and he gave a very emotional locker room speech and basically said, we don't give up, we keep pounding. And so at the Panthers games, They'll beat the keep pounding drum. One side of the stadium will yell keep. The other side of the stadium yells pounding. And so because Buddy likes the Panthers, we just thought that it was just very apropos for us. You know, just keep pounding. Kind of like KFG, but but the Carolina version. And with no swears Um, when you say it out loud. Well, right. (laughs) Safer version. It's kid-friendly. That's but, um, that's great. I love it. So, yeah. So, we just keep pounding every day. That's it. That's, that's what you do. I, I think that's great. Cancer is super heavy. Your life has had plenty of heavy shit in it over the past two and a half years. So, the Gauntlet of Random Questions is a place of fun and opportunity to, you know, for us to get into trouble and say dumb things. But Lighthearted harassment. Lighthearted harassment. So, oh, I can't wait. So, are you prepared for this? Yes. Okay. Waffles, French toast, or pancakes? Pancakes. But really neither because they're sweet and I don't like sweet breakfast. Kellen really wants to answer this, so I'm going to go to Kellen. No, no, I just, I don't know my life without maple syrup or something. Right, right. like you are from Vermont, so pick one. Yeah, I would just, oh, no, like on top of each other. Oh, The French toast on top of the waffle. Oh, everything. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, if you could see one movie again for the first time, have it be a totally fresh experience, what movie would you go to? Oh, my gosh. Um, oh. You can think about it for a second. Mine would be, I want to give you my movie, would be E.T. Because I saw it when I was like, I don't know. I was like, I was a little boy. I was born in 76. When did E.T. come out? Like 80 oh, something? Oh, sorry. 81, Yeah, I yeah. Think. So, 80. and I remember that movie, like, coming out of that theater. And, like, I was, like, crying my eyes out. Die Hard. Oh, man. I, <laughs> that's, yeah. <laughs> you have just gained I many bonus points rem- with my audience. I clearly remember my dad taking me to see that movie when I was way too young <laughs> to <laughs> see a movie like that. Um, and it's a movie that every time it comes on, we just, we have to watch it. You can't even click past Die I Hard. I saw that for the so. first time this year. No. <laughs> Don't ever admit that again in public. I know. <laughs> Um, all right. W- would you rather be forced to dance every time you hear music or forced to sing any song you heard? Forced to dance. You'd rather do the dancing than the singing? Yes. Yes. I'm sure the dancing would be more pleasurable for the observer. Also. <laughs> That's also Sarah is in the same boat as you. and She's not allowed to sing in this house. Not that she would want to. All right. If you were footwear, what kind would you be? Flip flops. Flip flops. That was easy for you. You're like, yep, no doubt. <laughs> yep. Beach, beach side or pool side? Pool side. But the pool has to be beach side. Oh, so. she's putting the pool next to the beach. <laughs> she's breaking yes. the system. I like it. That's how, that's how we do it here. I love yeah. that. That's great. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Tomatoes. Just in any of their any variations. Form. Yeah, there's so many ways to eat tomatoes. Yeah. It's a good oh one. God, that's super healthy, yeah. too. Um, well, you know, it's the Southern girl in me. <laughs> tomato with salt on it. And lastly, the zombie apocalypse is upon us. We are counting on Christy Holson to save the world. What is your go-to weapon? 
uh, pistol. Wow! Don't mess with the. Uh, don't mess with her. Don't mess with the, no. the North Carolina no. girls. <laughs> it has been awesome having you. You have made it through the gauntlet of random questions. I cannot say enough about you, Sarah. Any other caregiver or care partner out there who is going through this crap? You guys are heroes. We don't talk about you enough. We don't celebrate you enough because it could be infinite. It still wouldn't be enough. You guys are the rock stars and keep pounding and um, know that you have a community with us. Um, always you. you and Buddy. Um, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. If you want to get behind our mission, you can connect with us, subscribe to our email list, and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open. Hold up. 